Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of UX Banter podcast. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks. People always remember the way you make them feel. And that is what product design is all about. Making people feel good. Our guest for today's episode is passionate about creating effective and successful experiences that engage, inspire and attract people. He has worked with some of the world's leading brands like Coursera, Comcast, ESPN and Hi-Fi Games. A mentor, DEI advocate, speaker, advisor, entrepreneur and self-taught designer. Please welcome the lead product designer at Netflix, Mr. Fons Morris. It's morning for me in California. I think it's nighttime in India. So, hello world, how about that? <laughs> it is so nice to have you on our podcast fonts i mean if you prefer that way i mean doesn't matter well <laughs> fonts is what most people just call me fonts okay so um being a self taught designer what inspires you about designing and any tips for the people who are learning to design on their own it's like solving problems i've always been a problem solver i was originally going to be an architect and then i wanted to be a software engineer but i really realized that design was what i really really was the most passionate about so i just like solving problems on all kind of scales when i first started it was a lot smaller because i was doing my own design agency and now that i'm at netflix i'm solving billion dollar problems but at the end of the day it all comes down to solving my users problems and coming up with effective efficient solutions netflix that is one of the most popular entertainment platform in the world and when you are creating such immersive and inclusive user experiences what is the process like how do you go about doing that it's a very complicated process it depends on which project every project is not the same so when it's a bigger project we have strategy bets as a company that we want to hit and then those strategy bets are detailed but they're not super super detailed we then take those strategy bets and as a growth team we figure out how to actually execute on those and we get up as a team we work at our product managers everybody gets together as a team to try to talk about what the what the problem is make sure we all understand the problem and we also work together to try to figure out what the solution could be and then once we figure out what we think the solution is which would be our hypothesis we then go into figuring out how to test this hypothesis before we actually decide to roll it out to our global user base so we prefer to ab test a lot of things to make sure that we have the right signal we made the right decision and then once we do that and we've checked the data we check the metrics then we talk about okay how do we want to incrementally roll this out because when you have that many customers it's not really smart to just flip the switch and roll everything out at one time because what if there's some issues what if there's some things you you may want to change or something like that you would prefer to roll it out in phases which i think keeps everything safe so from the changes that has happened i mean from coursera to netflix do you think that in that journey the different methodologies used in these big brands the way they operate the way they function do you think that there is a certain overlap or is there any big difference between the processes involved in, in these big organizations or is there any learnings that you you know carry from one practice to another 
Yes to both. There's there is overlap, and then there's a lot of differences. When you think of a company like Netflix that has the resources that we have, of course we're going to be able to do more testing. We have way more people on a team. We have an amazing customer insight team that helps us do our user research. We have an amazing data science team that can that digs so deep into the data to really help us understand what's going on. We have content designers that help with the product designers to write the messaging to make sure that we're communicating effectively. We have internal branding teams that help us if we want to do some high level creative to be able to really push this design, we have an internal team to do that. Other companies, you don't have those resources, so you have more responsibility and you might not be able to, to build as big ideas because of your limitations, mm -hmm. but you still follow those, those same product design principles where at Coursera, we didn't have a massive research team, so we couldn't do as much user research as we can at Netflix, at at Coursera, we were still a startup. So mm -hmm. the the kind of problems we were solving were different than Netflix, but still very similar. The same with Comcast. The problems were different, but very similar. We were trying to get people to convert. So my thing is, I'm all about conversion. So I'm either trying to get you to sign up for a website, sign up for a service, enroll in something, purchase something. So no matter what business, I'm still trying to get you to convert. Now, how I'm going to be able to get you to convert will differ as well as what mechanisms and, and, and different things I can do to help you convert. So there's a lot of similarities between things, but every company moves a little different. And then you have to think about how mature is that design agency, that design team, how big is that design team? And all these little things matter to help you really, well, help craft each individual team. So there is overlap, but there's also a lot of distinction as well. So every time anybody who works for any different brand or the organization, we have to adopt not just about the new user base, but also the culture of the company or the organization that you're working for that, what sort of depth they are bringing in. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because no company is the same. People are individual, people have different processes and styles of solving things. So when you, well, before you take a job, you should have done some research on the culture and you should make sure that there's some synergy between you, your values, your principles, and the company that you want to work at's values, principles, and cultures. So that when you get there, it's not a massive culture shock because you didn't know that that's how they operated. So that's what I tell a lot of people is before you, you, you take the job, make sure you really want that job. Make sure you mm -hmm. really want to work in that industry and you have done as much research as you can to see what it's like to work there. And then the effort to make the user advocacy possible is different as well. That sometimes when the organization is UX literate, so to say, and then there, there are places where you have to actually work hard to make sure that the boardrooms do have a seat for the user, that effort actually differs from one organization to another. So getting back to the, the first thing that I asked you, what was your journey like? How did you got into this business in the first place? Yeah, so I grew up in New York City, which is one of the the culture capitals of the world. So mm -hmm. I was always exposed to design, whether it was when I went to museums, when I was in grade school, whether it was fashion, because 
New York is one of the fashion capitals of the world, or whether it's architecture, because New York has some of the best architecture, I was being exposed to design early. And that's what pushed me into wanting to become an architect. And then a friend of mine's father, who was an architect, said architects don't make a lot of money. And I didn't want to hear that. So I changed my major from architecture into computer science. And I got my computer science degree. And once mm -hmm. I graduated, my university opened up a multimedia lab. And I pretty much just moved into the multimedia lab and taught myself all of the necessary skills and software I needed to get a design agency off the ground up and running. So nice. once I got the design agency up and running, I started to get more clients. I started to be able to actually provide and take care of myself. I realized that this was the career for me. I then transitioned into corporate America, got my first full-time design job working at a money transfer company. And then I don't want to say the rest is history, but <laughs> after the design agency and the full-time job, I ended up leaving the full-time job and doing my design agency full-time mm -hmm. that got acquired by one of our customers. And once it got acquired by our customers, they invested in us to be able to build our first product, which was the content management system, which is so crazy because I see so many versions of the same idea now. Back when I launched my idea, it was too early. People mm -hmm. didn't really understand it. So now when you think of Web3 and everybody really trying to help people monetize their brands, I'm just thinking to myself like, wow, only if my business could have been able to stay around this long, but that's life. These are the experiences I learned from it. So that startup ended up closing. I went back into corporate America for uh -huh. a while. I went, worked in the video game industry, some, some agency work, and then to Comcast, which was amazing because I was working on the sales and marketing team, which was Xfinity.com, which Comcast is the biggest telecommunication yeah. company in the United States. So being able to work on a website that got that many views and trying to help convert users at that scale was, was amazing for me, but I still had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I left Comcast and went back with the same team that I did my first startup with. And we tried to do another startup that was video conferencing, just like mm -hmm. Zoom, right? like a WebEx competitor. So we come up with good ideas. I think we're just a little too early. And I think that's why you really have to to have a better understanding of what your investing looks like because it may take time for your idea to actually take off so if you don't have enough runway then you won't be able to to stay afloat long enough to maybe have the industry understand your idea and support your idea so that startup ended up closing and then that's when i realized at this point i was married i had a daughter i needed stability and I also felt I needed to move from the East Coast to the West so that I can be in more of the tech design ecosystem. I didn't feel the East Coast design community was as strong as the West Coast. So I started to look for jobs out on the West Coast. I got the job as lead growth designer at Coursera. And mm -hmm. that's when I relocated my family out here. We've been out here in San Jose for about four years and then when I got out here, like I said, I wanted to be a part of the design community. Mm -hmm. So I used to go to a lot of design events, no matter what it was. I would take the train up to San Francisco two, three times a week. And one of the events that I went to, I met an engineering manager from Netflix and he asked if I had ever thought about working at Netflix. Mm -hmm. And then I said, no, but I did have a strong entertainment background. So it wasn't right. too far fetched. 
Yeah. And he helped me out a lot and got me into the interview process. And I did a great job in the interview when they offered me the position. That was about two years ago. Right. So the path was that uh, Comcast, the entertainment industry experience led to your networking activities that you participated actively, um, going out there, meeting people, making connections. And mm-hmm. then um, that segued into your job, um, your position at Netflix. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's I think that actually gives a clear you know idea to anybody who is uh, looking to work with bigger companies and organizations it's it's a stepwise process if you can't just crack it with your placement directly i think the best way would be to just get the relevant experience and make sure that you keep making connections you keep meeting people and go to these events so perfect the- that's that's the that's i mean you hit it right on the nose some people will be fortunate enough to maybe get into these big companies on their first try. And that's fine. Learn from their successes, but don't judge yourself based off their successes. Maybe that's not the path for you. So find an alternative path where, like you said, as long as you keep trying to get this experience and you keep pushing, one day you'll get to wherever you think you want to be, but it just Uh may not be as easy or as simple, but you'll get there. (laughs) So you moved to San Jose in 2019. Mm-hmm. And that was the last time I was 18. there to 18. That was 18. So it's been almost okay. four years. <laughs> okay. Big shift. I mean, the life in New York and life in San Jose. I mean, that's as different Drastic as you shift. can be. There's two different Americas out there. Drastic shift. I mean, it's far. It's it's the two opposite coasts. There is nowhere as many people in San Jose as it is in New York. It doesn't feel as, as big of a metropolis, but that's good because I was looking for like a more slower paced life. But then at the same time, let's say you do want to have fun and go out and do things like that. There's not as many options in San Jose as it is in New York. So it's really more about what are you looking for? I'm a little older now. Like I'm also a family man. So I'm not really looking for bars or, or things like that. I'm looking for ways to spend time with my family and still grow my career and network. So San Jose is perfect for that. But somebody who's a little younger that may still be looking for a social life and having that type of fun, New York is a way better city. Right, but for the family man that you are, I think uh, Yosemite, Big Sur, uh, Santa Cruz, I think Mm -hmm. those are the things where you actually want to spend time with. I love the drive that you have to Big Sur. You know, you just go uh, driving Beautiful. across that big bridge and near Monterey and all that area. I think Beautiful. I think it's a fantastic experience to have. Very quiet, but I believe that's that's a different perspective at life, isn't it? Yeah. When you are looking at that. Okay. So now I have a few cards here. Okay. So first question for a Netflix man: books or movies? Books. Are you sure? I don't watch movies. Like, I don't watch movies at all. Like, I I mean, the the only time I watch movies is if I watch something with my daughter. But I'm just a book guy. (laughs) Okay. Window or aisle seat? Oh, my gosh. Always window. Because I need something to lean my head on. (laughs) And I love looking out the window. I'm one of those people that can look out the window for hours. So, window all day. <laughs> Same here. Uh, people say aisle because they want to use the loo. I said, take how many um, times are going to go? And plus, the trolley person will look, always I, come and say, "Excuse me." <laughs> I need to look out the window, man. That's most important to me. More important than the bathroom. Looking out the window. Okay, one person alive or dead, you would like to grab a drink with? 
That's a good one. I would like to have a drink with Malcolm X. Oh, cool. That, that's fantastic. Somebody also mentioned that they uh, wanted to grab with John F. Kennedy. A drink. Oh, I deep. think that was, yeah. a, that was a, a great answer as well. But Malcolm X, amazing. I mean, I would like I really to hear more Malcolm about X. his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's really a fantastic smart answer. Yeah, really, yeah. really smart guy. I, I read the book. Okay, so, so you read the autobiography of Malcolm X yeah. and you can yeah. see just how his transformation from Harlem to becoming this global world leader and the way he looked at, at the world and how he wanted a better life for the Black community, I just really resonate with that. Cool. Amazing. Your favorite mobile app? Ha! That's a good one. Gmail. Gmail. Okay. So here is the list so far. We got calendar, notes, TikTok, Instagram, Uber, and I can't remember the rest, but Gmail is, you know, another email. addition to the list. Because okay. I have a lot of communications that happen. My life has changed through email and it's a massive way to communicate. So like, I'm not really the on my phone all day type of person. So either I would have said Chrome or I would have said Gmail. None of your products align into that? I, like I told you, I don't really watch movies on my phone or a TV. I read a lot. So I'm reading through Chrome, which is uh -huh. the web browser. And then I'm reading and also communicating through Gmail. Cool. And if you were a superhero, what would your power be? That's, that's always a good question. And I think I would have to go with something like, who would I really say power? I really, really, really want to have. See, I'm not really into the, like a Batman or a Superman or something like that. Like, I would have probably somebody like a, a Professor Xavier. So He's in the X-Men. Yeah, no, yeah. that I know. That I know. So the, 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 the power to read minds or maybe, I think it's, it's a good answer from the UX person's point of view. If you see that the empathy is, again, is, is, is what we, we strive for. Any product that we design, we want to know what the other person feels like. And if we can have that inkling that how this is going to happen uh, and having that understanding from the other person, I think that is certainly going to help um, in our business and career. Okay. That's an X. I, I mean, if you think about it, he's the leader of the X-Men for a reason. So, you know. <laughs> True. Uh, I know that you don't watch screen much, but your favorite TV show of all time, even from your childhood. Oh, it's a TV show called Martin. Martin Lawrence had a comedy, like okay. a sitcom that that that's my favorite show, without a doubt. My sister and I have watched that show. We almost know every single episode and the punchlines of every episode. We've watched it for years and years and years. It's just such like a a low budget quality comedy show that is still funny. Like if you watch it to this day, you'll still laugh at it because the main star of Martin Lawrence is a comedy, like yep. he's a comedian. He's just yeah. really funny. And he was always in like these weird relatable scenarios that you could kind of mm -hmm. see yourself in. And then because it's TV, they kind of drag it out a little to make it even more funnier. So I would definitely <laughs> say Martin. Definitely. I should, I, I'll, I'll check that out. Definitely. You should check it out and see if you like it. Like, I want to ask you that. Like, what's your favorite uh, TV show of all time? Uh, well, right now I'm watching Stranger Things. But, you mm -hmm. know, if, if I say historically, that is Tailspin from Disney. 
they've right. been with uh, the characters from the jungle book but they are now situated into this uh, town and uh, so balu flies a plane and uh, then sher khan is the big businessman and mm-hmm. louis has a bar somewhere and they all you know gather there so I I, okay yeah i really like that tailspin uh, is the show that is 90s um, version of it and it okay, was amazing show with a very you know fine storyline and all that i also want to add the gravity falls I, i've not even seen that it's again animated a disney's recent I, I animated one so, yeah, yeah i'll yeah, check it out and see you should i think ask questions so you can learn something new as well <laughs> your favorite holiday destination i've been so many places i just need a second jamaica jamaica nice one on the beach Beautiful. sunny uh pina coladas the food the jamaican rum the jamaican coffee jerk chicken the reggae the beach the sun is always shining the culture the people it's amazing jamaica is one of the best places on the planet and i've been there i think i've been to jamaica five times maybe uh-huh. yeah like about five times and if i could go there today i would go today fuck <laughs> like I would get off this podcast and go straight to Jamaica. <laughs> Fantastic. Actually, somebody asked me a question many years ago that where do you see yourself in 10 years time? So, the second part of that answer was I want to be as cool as a West Indian. Uh because <laughs> <laughs> West Indian people have this natural cool vibe to them. It's just part of their culture. I agree with that. Man, these questions are so good. It's like I want to ask you every question you're asking me. It's like I want to know about I want to learn about you as well. I'm like, what's your favorite place? Where would you want to go for a holiday? I'll I'll answer the holiday destination thing. So I went to uh, New York only once in my life, but so it happened that uh, I was in Central Park and I just posted on Facebook that I am here. And a few of my friends from India, one of the relatives and all that, randomly they all decided to show up because I was going there. so so it happened that evening time um we were sitting at the uh, you know the lakeside restaurant uh, in the central park and three mm-hmm. of my friends or you know th- these guys showed up and i'm like what are we going to do and so they just say yeah we are going to ride around so somebody had a car and we just drove around new york uh, they showed me that this is the bull this is the wall street this is the and then we took nice. the ferry to the staten island and saw the statue of liberty yeah. and all that and Good. we had chipotle for uh, dinner and all that and we ended up at times square at like 3 am so it's mm. it, it was it was uh, mostly with you know unexpected friends gathering in the most happening city on the planet and yeah. uh, that was that was quite something <laughs> That sounds good man. Yeah, I mean, that's home. New York is the city that never sleeps. True. And I I really enjoy that. That is one of my fondest memories of being away from India. So you were talking about books. What is your favorite book or the book that has, you know, big influence in your life? The 48 Laws of Power. Okay. By George O'Keefe. It's a great book. I mean, it just goes through all each law they give uh-huh. you the law but then they give you a breakdown of the law but then they also give you a story like an example for you to really be able to to understand what the law is and it gives you amazing feedback like never outshine the master that's a great most people wouldn't really understand why you say that 
But there's a lot of different ones like that, that I read this book when I was young. So because I read it when I was young, it was able to give me a little more knowledge and wisdom about how to navigate life. And I still love it. I still have a copy in the living room and I still tell people that they should pick it up whenever they can. It's a thick book. It's a complicated book, but at the same time, the knowledge in it is so still relative and still relatable to this day. Great. Nice one. And this reminds me of two books that even I like because I just wanted to, you know, I know that you're going to ask me the same question. So I mm-hmm. you um, already know from, from the UX side, I really enjoy Steve Kirk's uh, Don't Make Me Think. Uh, revisit it actually because he just you know simplifies things that if you have to think that is not good design you have to rethink it and it's common it sense like this. Yeah. It should be That's- intuitive if i have to think i just told some some mentees of mine yesterday a design that they're working about like a design that they're working on they need to put themselves in the shoes of the user because i don't think the design is simple enough i don't think it was intuitive enough i feel they were thinking more as a designer and not putting themselves in the shoes of the people that would be using this. Uh-huh. And once they understood where I was coming from, it allowed them to start thinking about maybe alternative ways to solve the problem. Cool. Okay. And last question, uh, which is, what would you do if you were the president for a day, president of the USA? I would make sure I opened up more opportunities for people to provide for themselves, whether that means I opened up a budget to to be able to give people jobs, whether I opened up a budget to be able to help with education in various areas. That's what I'm passionate about, educating people and giving them the skills and the support that they need to be able to take care of themselves. People want to People don't want free, some people want free handouts, right? Okay, fine. Most people don't. Most people like working. Most people are hardworking. Most people are smart and want to provide and want to do for themselves. But depending on where you were born, gender, ethnicity, some of these people don't get the same opportunities as other. I want to level that playing field where everybody gets the same shot to be able to see what it's like to be successful. And I think that come. I think that really starts with education. And then after education, the next step is employment. So I would focus on education and employment. Great answer. Getting back, I mean, this is this was all the questions that I had for you. That was fun. <laughs> okay. So uh, there is there's this thing that we actually got through when we were doing the research about uh, your, your profile and all that. When we were socially stalking, we came across this thing called growth design that you mentioned. So what is growth design and why do you think it is important that, you know, what are the skills needed to be a successful in professional in growth design? So growth design is pretty much the intersection is pretty much the intersection between business and design. So a lot of the work I do at Netflix is focused on the design, but also heavily focused on the business impact. I'm heavily focused on what the what the metrics will be, what the numbers will be after this, what the revenue will be after this. And I don't know if all product designers are that focused on the business side. They're focused on the UX, maybe the UI, maybe the way something looks. Those matter to me, but that's not it. That's just one piece of it. I'm focused on what what success of this 
feature or this product looks like? What's the business impact of that? And that's why I spend my time working with my PM a lot. And I spend my time reading a lot of test specs and working with the data science team to make sure that we know what data we need to be able to achieve this hypothesis. And that hypothesis is based off of the business goals. So when I first started designing, I wasn't that focused on that. I was more, let me get this website up. Let me design this logo. It was just more of launching. And I would do a little bit of analytics from Google, but that was it. That's where it stopped. There wasn't a lot of testing involved. There wasn't a lot of digging deep into the data to really make sure that I'm getting the right information to be able to make these decisions. So now that I'm at a company like Netflix that is so data heavy, as a growth designer, I'm using that as well as where I know the business wants to go, plus design as well as user research and user experience. All of that together is what my job is. It's not just one section of the process no more. It's the whole process with a lot of emphasis at the beginning and a lot of emphasis at the end as well. Because once we launch something, we now need to analyze it to see how it's doing. Do we want to optimize it? Do we want to iterate on it? Do we want to not roll it out? So I just think as a growth designer, I worry about a lot of things that I originally thought didn't go under design. I thought it would have been just more the business team handles that or somebody else does that. Where now as a growth designer, I, I actually handle that. I'm actually knee deep in all of those different things. True. This is the same way when, you know, at, at Galaxy, the process that we have is that somebody comes to us saying that our product needs uh, redesign, uh, UX needs to be improved or a website. So we say, let's first do a heuristics evaluation of the website that how is it currently performing and what are the parameters that needs to be improved in scientific parameters. Then you talk about the competitors that how they are doing better. Then we want to see the analytics data as what is your current user behavior, because you don't want to come up with a product that alienates the current people who are in. And then you do the research about that, the new audience that you want to bring into the platform. So that evidence combined together, that is where the data, um, you know, you can actually generate and see the behavior, which are the paths people are taking. If there are any functionality that you invested heavily in, but nobody is actually able to access those features. I mean, that is one of the biggest problems because uh, most of these products are heavily engineering driven. And when engineers do come to play, they say the feature is there. It's just the user doesn't know how to use it. And, I, and, and, and that is actually, you know, in, in a straight up, uh, it, it's a failed product, to be honest. I mean, that is how you can simply <laughs> put it that put it out there. And then you do the testing, you get the validation, and then you ship the product out. I think that should be the, the ideal way of executing it. For sure, for sure. But you know, once again, this ties all the way back to the original question that you asked me about what's the difference between a smaller company or Coursera or Netflix is, that style certain companies will be heavy engineering focus where design is almost just like support a little bit where some companies design is peers they're equal with engineering so there is no engineering just builds it and now design you try to make it look better it's we worked on this solution together and that's how you build a successful product and i think that's one of the reasons why netflix's platform is so successful is there's this really strong 
intersection and collaboration between the design team and the engineering team. That's why the UX is so good. The UI is so good. People find it easy to use and we have so many users. Sure. I 100% agree about the, the cultural context of it and I, the organization-based uh, context to it. Now, the bigger mm-hmm. challenge that we face here in India is that first off, um, we used to be all the development, the coding companies were here and design was always done on site. So Mm -hmm. when we started into UX, the biggest challenge was that how to make people understand that the UX can be done um, with the team uh, locally. Uh, So we had to adopt and improve a lot. We have to templatize a lot of things. The design op has to be, um, you know, come to a level when everybody in the team is educated enough to take the opportunity and do these things really quickly so Mm -hmm. that they are not actually scaring away the clients or anybody who says that, oh, we want to do heuristics and it will take a couple of weeks. We can't do that because that's the luxury that we don't have. So Mm -hmm. you need to find the shortcuts that how do you just go from point A to point B? And that is the smarter way of designing. And that is how you you adopt to the culture when you are not allowed the luxury and resources of bigger organizations. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, hey, this is great. Plus one to everything you said. Plus one is what we say at Netflix when we agree. So plus one, plus one, plus one, plus one. That's fantastic. Okay. So finally, the last last uh, question to this discussion, any advice mm-hmm. or any good words or, you know, that you want yeah. to give to people starting out in the industry? For sure. Be patient with yourself. Have fun. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself like you're the product. The same time you put into all the pieces that's in your portfolio and what you think you're going to do when you get this amazing job at Meta, make sure you put that same time into yourself so that you are on the right path. Make sure you take time to do self-assessments. Make sure you take time to really think about what you're passionate about and what does success look like for you and try to build a little plan for yourself. It may change. That's fine. It's not about following the plan exactly it's about just having some form of structure and being able to build on things and over time you'll get to wherever you want to go don't wait for somebody to 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 crown you as a designer or as a senior designer if you're putting the time and the energy and the passion and the work into being a designer you're a designer whether you want to call yourself junior designer mid all that stuff is is extra Remember, you are a designer and you will get better as time goes by, but you have to take that first step. So don't worry about if your first project doesn't look as good as the next person's or this. In time, it may even look better than their stuff, but you have to put that hard work in and you have to believe in yourself and you have to stay positive. Plus one to that. I think you... <laughs> Patience and practice. I think I think yep. those are the those are the keys and persistent is I think persistence and is optimism. This optimism. optimism because yeah. because it's going to be a hard road and without the optimism then you may start to doubt yourself and that's fine we all go through that but I just want you if you fall to take your time get back up get back up keep pushing if you fall again get back up just keep getting back up no matter what happens keep getting back up because it's so worth it with that i would say that this is the most fun i have had on this this podcast and that wow thank you for that that i wanted to go through yeah for sure man i like those questions i'm actually going to copy that idea and i'm going to 
soften up situations with more gentle questions like that. If when you're doing these kind of talks or podcasts, sometimes mm -hmm. it's always like a little serious and it's just straight to the point where what's wrong with asking somebody some <laughs> 20, 10, 10 questions or just banter like, hey, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite food? There's like, it's like an icebreaker almost. And it really helps set the tone. So this, even though it was seven o'clock in the morning, this was a <laughs> very, I'm very, very glad that I was able to attend. So thank you so much for the invite. So thank you for joining us this early in the morning. And with that, in the coming seasons, I hope that we'll get some sort of arrangement to get you back with new questions, new topics, yeah. and, and the conversation. Or if I do a podcast, and if and if when I create my podcast, I'm going to ask you to be on my podcast. So Absolutely. you ask you to be on your podcast, I'll return the favor and ask you to be on my podcast. <laughs> anytime, anytime. I, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for joining Fonz once again. Thank you. And uh, gentlemen uh, and ladies, whoever is listening to this podcast, the, today's episode was a fun Phil banter as promised. And I'm going to see you guys next week with another guest and hope that we'll have more fun or even equal uh, to the levels of fun that we had today. That would be something, won't it? So <laughs> check me out on Twitter, everybody, Young Fonz. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Fonz Morris. I love to talk to the community. I love to support the community. Reach out to me, I'm here. And with that, I wish you guys a great day ahead and thank you very much. Bye.